We're going to continue our series in the book of James. James is in the New Testament. If you have a Bible or an app, that's fine. We're going to be in the book of James, which is kind of tucked toward the back. It's between the book of Hebrews and 1 Peter. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Never did such a small three-letter word hold so many horrors. The word is war. I read a book by M.L. Stedman called The Light Between the Oceans. The book is a work of fiction with a main character named Tom Shelbourne. But Tom Shelbourne was a veteran of World War I. And what Stedman puts in Shelbourne's mouth could be the experience of so many people who went off to war and left a part of themselves out on the battlefield. Stedman writes, Tom Shelbourne has plenty of time to think about the war, about the faces, the voices of the blokes who had stood beside him, who saved his life one way or another, the ones whose dying words he heard and those whose muttered jumbles he couldn't make out but who he nodded to anyway. Tom isn't one of the men whose legs trailed by a hank of sinews or whose guts cascaded from their casing like slithering eels, nor were his lungs turned to glue or his brains to stodge by gas. But he's scarred all the same, having to live in the same skin as the man who did the things that needed to be done back then. He carries that other shadow which is cast inward. He tries not to dwell on it. He's seen plenty of good men turned worse than useless that way. So he gets on with life around the edges of this thing he's got no name for. War. One survivor of Antietam in 1862, the bloodiest day in the Civil War, said no tongue can tell, no mind conceive, no Pen portray the horrible sights I witnessed. War. Never did such a little word hold such horrors. Today, James is going to talk to us about war. War without the rat-tat-tat of gunfire. War without the bombing of cannons. War without the tanks, but war just the same. James is going to talk to us about war in the church. These are casualties that are casualties not measured with blood, but leave a mark just the same. He's going to show us how a church, any church, can be a battleground for war and how we must avoid it. One of the most striking warnings and calls to repentance in the Bible James is going to tell us where war comes from, why war makes sense, and the remedy for war. I'm going to encourage us to strive for peace. I'm going to read beginning in James chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 6, and we'll consider these words today. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture say, says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pause for a moment and just ask the Lord to help us. Lord, Lord, we're just one small church in one small town, gathered together. None of us in this room are all too important. None of us have fame to point to, but all of us need your help today. I pray for all of us, Lord, to consider and heed your word, even as you consider us. Help us to listen. Help us to hear, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen. First, where war comes from. This is going to be in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, quarrels, I can tell you right now, is too weak a word. Quarrels brings to mind kind of like petty squabbles. The word might be better rendered war. So verse 1 could read, what causes wars and what causes fights among you? Here's the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, remember the context. James is speaking to churches, churches spread across the diaspora at, at that time. He is speaking to churches all across the known world at that time, and he's also speaking to our church too. Disagreements in a local church that leads to all-out conflict is called war, according to James. It's ironic because the very last place we should expect to find acrimony, strife, and conflict is within the church of the living God, but yet... War can be declared between two people, two groups, and turn any church into a war zone. Sadly, there are times when the bride of Christ tears herself apart. So how does a church become a war zone? How does a church become a battlefield? Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you Murder. Do you see what causes war in the church? It's very basic. You want something you can't have. And so he's not talking about murdering, like pulling out a knife and plunging it into somebody's chest or erecting gallows and hanging someone from it. But he's talking about the murder that we all commit in our hearts toward someone. We may never commit murder with our hands, but we have with our hearts. That's what he's talking about. What causes strife? What causes war? Someone else has something we don't. And it bothers us. Maybe it's the respect they have. Maybe 
It's their position or their health or their family or their life. You want it. You can't have it. So in your heart, you murder. Hatred harbored in any heart toward any person is the equivalent of murder. Where does war come from? It comes from within. And there's an escalation. James continues, you covet and cannot obtain. That means you want it even more and you can't get it, so you fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. And if you ask, you just spend it on yourselves, is what he says in verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you see where war comes from? It comes from the passions that lie within all of us. For our own gain and our own glory to burst out and fight and war with others. War comes from the misplaced desires that all of us have, have lurking around in our hearts. It's so very subtle. You might say, not me. I could never go to, some, go to war with someone else in our church. But these things don't start with the declaration of war. These things don't start when somebody pulls a gun on you. These things start much more subtly. These things start when we, instead of wanting to serve, want to be served. These things start instead of wanting to bless, but to be blessed. These things start when, instead of wanting to give, we want to be given to. Instead of wanting to help, we want to be promoted. Instead of overlooking sin, we get embittered. Instead of forgiving, we want to get even. That's when these things start. The decisions to go to war start when we don't control the passions and the desires in our heart, in our lives. Misplaced desires and twisted desires lead from war. Listen, war always comes from within. The most serious and virulent attacks on our church or on any church is always from within. Always. 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 The biggest threat to me is no one out there but me. The biggest threat to you is no enemy that you have arrayed against you but you. Similarly, the biggest threat to our church is not something someone can do from the outside, but what might happen on the inside. There's a part of us, even as believers in Jesus, who have passions that we must bridle so we don't go to war. That's where war comes from, from within our hearts. Now, why does war make sense? That's the second thing we're going to ask. Why does war make sense? James takes that up in verses 4 and 5. Now, he's going to change metaphors here from battle to sexual immorality. He's comparing the bride of Christ to a prostitute. Follow his language, look at verse, or his logic. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people. Now, let me tell you this. I would never say that of, <laughs> I would never read that in front of anyone unless it was here in the scriptures, but here we have, here we have this. I'm not saying that this typifies us, but if we go to war, this is what we're doing. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of 
God. Now, what's he talking about when he says friendship with the world? When he says the world, he's not speaking about ecology. He's not speaking about us not having friends that are unbelievers or knowing unbelievers. He's speaking about the philosophy of this world. In other words, friendship with the world is adopting the norms and standards of our society that we live in instead of the norms and standards of godliness. That's friendship with the world. The reason war makes sense inside the church is because we live in a society constantly at war. That's why. The reason it makes sense to go to war in church is because we live in a war zone. In our world, to get ahead, you don't serve others, you conquer. In our world, if you feel threatened, you don't listen, you accuse. In our world, if you get attacked, you don't try to understand, you hit right back. Kindness is weakness, gentleness is some kind of other deficiency. In our world, you don't cover other people's sin, you expose them. In our world, you don't help people with their frailties, you mock them. In our world, you don't serve the weak in secret, you virtue signal to everyone. You see why it makes sense? Why does war make sense? Because we live in a war zone. We live in a war zone. We may not pass bombed out buildings on the way to Trader Joe's, but we are at war. We may not have to watch out for snipers on our way to work, but we are at war. We live in a society constantly sniping back and forth and back and forth. And we live in that context and we think, that's normal. No, that's war. If you doubt the war that's going on, just look on social media. James says, we must not adopt that mindset when we come into the household of God. When we come amongst the people of God, we must not bring an attitude of war. Because if we do, look at what he says in the second half of verse 4. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, this is not calling us to cloister ourselves away from the society we live in. No, we must be in the society that we're in. No, this is not calling us to have bad attitudes toward people out in the society. What this is telling us is that we must not adopt the worldview that is in the society we live in. Why? Because we follow Jesus. In other words, if you declare war on someone in our church, even if it's just inside, you're at war with God. You're an enemy of God. I, I don't want to be an enemy of God. You see, one of the primary ways in which we show ourselves to be friends of God is how we treat each other in this church. How you treat other people shows what you think of God. 
See, the reason war makes sense is because we live in a war zone. The reason the Bible's full of all kinds of conversation about how to interact with other, be- other people is because it's so very counterintuitive. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things do not exist outside of a body of believers. These things are not typical of the world that we live in. War makes sense because we live in a world that is, that is not full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But when someone wrongs us, we're called to love in return. When someone rejoices, we don't wonder, why not me? But we rejoice with them. When strife is about to spark, we listen and work toward peace. When someone mistreats us, we must patiently overlook. When someone's rude, we're to be good to them in return. When we feel unappreciated, we still serve faithfully. When someone is harsh, we're called to be gentle in return. When someone is reckless towards us, we're called to be self-controlled in our response. That doesn't make sense, but yet that's the culture we're called to build and keep and maintain and continue in as a church because you are, you have continued in it, but we can't become lax. Listen, if there was ever a season in the life of our church we decide and purpose to be united, it's now. It's this year. All kinds of things have happened this year that none of us would have anticipated. But let me tell you this. The next presidential election in the fall, this fall, is going to be the most contentious election that our nation has seen since Abraham Lincoln ran against Stephen Douglas in 1860. And I'll tell you this, we're not going to have the same opinion about what ought to happen politically. But we are united not around a political process, not around a political candidate, but around Jesus Christ. We're not united around a political ideology. And if in these days we forget that, we could declare war on each other. We must focus to remain united in Christ, not expecting that we're going to be uniform in our opinions when it comes to masks and COVID and protests that are happening and political ideology. We must be fixed and focused on Jesus. There is nothing more important for us as a church in this moment and then to remain individually and corporately focused on him and avoid the temptation to go to war. Does that mean we don't talk about the things happening in our culture? No. But it does mean that we focus primarily on Jesus. So what have we seen? War? War comes from within. War makes sense because we live in a war zone. Lastly, the remedy for war, verse 6. But he, being God, gives more grace. 
but he gives more grace. If there's one thing I need, it's grace from God. If there's one thing I need, it's grace from God. I've received as a Christian, and so have you, grace to be able to say yes to Jesus and no to my sin, but I need more grace than just a moment in time where I turn and make a decision to follow Jesus. I need grace for each step of every day. I need grace to be able to follow Jesus and get up out of bed and try to honor him in every moment of the day. I need help at a fundamental level, and I'm not the only one. He gives grace. How? What's the key? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's the key? The key to not going to war, the key to receiving grace, the key to getting help from God? Humility. Humility. Something that does not make sense outside the church of the living God. But all of us know, don't we, that we have a lot to be humble about. I do. Oh my goodness, I do. I'm aware of that. I have a lot to be humble about. All of us do. Humility. Humility protects us against turning the church, this church or any church, into a, battle, into a battle zone, into a war zone. Before we question others, may we question ourselves. May we be more suspicious of ourselves than other people. May we never assume we understand what's going on until we really hear about it. May we refuse to exalt our opinions on secondary matters above other things. May we assert others' rights and not our own. Maybe, may we be more concerned with our own sin and failures than that of other people. May we understand that the greatest threat to ourselves is not from without, but from within. The only way to avoid war is humility. Humility. Now, the key to this kind of humble self-awareness is grace from God grace he gives to the humble. Listen, when you read God gives grace to the humble here in verse 6, when you read that God gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud, the opposition is not passive. It's active. It's as if God comes up to the proud person and pushes them in the chest as opposition and they're thrown back. We know where war comes from. It comes from within. We know why it makes sense because we live in a war zone. And we also see now that the, re, the, way, that, the way in which we go forward is in humility. Let's talk about something that doesn't make any sense. War makes sense because we live in a war zone. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus, the most humble man to walk this earth. There was a time where God's eyes were not on him. There was a time when he deserved blessing but received cursing. He had no reason to be humble, but he was. He had every reason to be blessed, but he wasn't. Because of his death, we can be humble before God. Lord knows we have enough to be humble about. But think about this. Our sins made it necessary for our Lord to die in our place. 
If that doesn't engender humility, all of us, we, we're not listening. Now, what difference does the cross make here? It makes this difference. Humility, humility in our world doesn't make sense because people, it's not safe really because people take advantage of you. But guess where humility is safe? Before a holy and loving God. That's the only place humility is safe. Jesus has already been punished for our many sins. Humility before God does not earn. We've already been given all that we could be given in Christ. Humility is safe because Jesus died. I have to think, how? How can we continue to war against the idea that war is natural and normal and something to be expected here and everywhere? Humility. See, there's a sense in which, as Center Church, we ought to have the aroma of heaven in the way we interact with each other. That we ought to reflect Jesus. You know what? Being unified on Christ, being unified in Jesus, will give us freedom to disagree about secondary things. And we're not saying that you ought not to have opinions about these things, but we ought to hold them in the right tension. Being unified in Christ gives us freedom to disagree. Being unified in Christ demands that we stay united. We should not expect that we should all have uniform opinions about COVID or politics or the direction of the United States, but we, remain, we should expect to remain united in Christ. Disagreements need not lead and must not lead to war. Why? Because God made war on Christ so that we can enjoy peace. Let me tell you something that's going to be hard to hear when it comes to primary and secondary. Everything politically is secondary. Everything about the future of our country is secondary. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not as important as being united in Christ together. Remember at the beginning we heard the witness from Ann Edom that said, no tongue can tell, no mind conceive, no pen portray the horrible sights I witnessed. I'm praying that in our church, as we look back on this year from the future, I'm praying that we continue to be countercultural and look back and say, no tongue can tell, no mind conceive, can conceive, no pen portray the magnificent peace we experienced in the midst of strife in 2020. Let's pray. Lord, may that be, and I pray that you would protect us. Lord, we need your protection more than we can say. And I pray, Lord, I'm grateful that your word is clear that the manner and method of our protection is humility. Lord, if there are people that we need to humble ourselves before in our church, I pray that we would do just that. If there are sins that we're harboring, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves and lay them before you. 
I pray that we wouldn't pretend that we're something we're not. I pray that we wouldn't take the mores and the expectations and the standards of the world and apply them in the body of Christ. Lord, may strife and conflict continue to be something that we don't experience in the church. May we, Lord, be, have the aroma of something different, Lord, as we fix ourselves on you, Jesus, as we try to honor you in every decision we make, in every word we say, in every social media post we make. Give us your mercy. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I am grateful to be able to be associated with people like Center Church. I count it a privilege and an honor just to be in their presence. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in them, and we pray that together we would experience more and more peace, more and more grace, more and more favor. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and take our stand. Amen. Fathers, I hope you have a great day. Have a wonderful afternoon. Be safe out there. We'll see you next week as we continue in the book of James and continue in James chapter 4. Go with the peace of Christ. You're dismissed.